Hello, I'm Father Mitch Packwood, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Today, we're going to talk about how many people, especially in academia, love to attach society's past sins, including slavery, to the Catholic Church as a means to attack and discredit the Church, and by extension to discredit all of Christianity. But our guest tonight is here to expose the myth that the Catholic Church tolerated or even endorsed slavery in past centuries. In addition, he'll point out that slavery is not quite so much a thing of the past as people think it is going on now. He is the director of the Institute for Faith and Freedom, and he teaches political science at Grove City College in Pennsylvania. His newest book is called The Worst of Indignities, The Catholic Church on Slavery. Please welcome our guest tonight, Dr. Paul Kangor. Dr. Paul, how are you? I'm good, Father Mitch, and it's good to be with you again. Thanks a lot. Great to have you uh, on, on another extremely important topic. This is a topic that we... Uh, have a lot of discussion about in our culture. Uh, slavery has been gone from the law books in the United States since the 1860s, right after the Civil War. And you know, it's, it, it was a horrible uh, experience. But the Catholic Church had taught against slavery well before the Americas were known to Europeans. And your book, The Worst of Indignities, is one more fine historical work laying out this issue uh, of the church's teaching on why enslaving people is so wrong. Thank you for writing it. It's a nice style too, so folks can, you know, get into it, it's very accessible. Um, you've got footnotes for those who want to do more research, but you lay out your argument straightforwardly. I like that very much. Thank you, thank you. When, let's start off about the, the history of the church's teaching in regards to slavery. What is it that we see in the Bible when the Old Testament talks about slavery and legislates it right after the Ten Commandments? You see that. What's going on with the issue of slavery in the Old Testament and then in New Testament times? Yeah, I mean, there's so much you could say, Father Mitch, right, about the mentions in the Old Testament. In fact, among other things, I, I, that helps to show modern Americans, or at least it, it ought to show them, that, that slavery is not a sin original to America, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you know, scholars estimate that slavery goes back 8,000, 10,000 years. I mean, yeah. ancient, Mes ancient Mesopotamia. And if you want to know where ancient Mesopotamia was, uh, you know, go to the book of Genesis, and it talks about the confluence of the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. Mm -hmm. And what it's describing there is actually the Garden of Eden, 
All right. So if you, if you want to know where slavery began, it doesn't belong. It doesn't start. It starts pretty quickly you know, after the Garden of Eden. All right. So yeah. this is a scourge as old as humanity itself. Uh, as Pope Pius X called it the worst of indignities. Yeah, I was going to add, it, there's even evidence for enslavement of people in the Stone Age before Mesopotamian civilization uh, in the Stone Age in Europe, uh, people that were captured in war were not always killed. Apparently, some of them were also enslaved. And one of the first battles, big battles, of uh, pre-civilized human beings. So it's very ancient. Yeah, and look at look at all the references to to the Jews being taken off into into captivity, right? Uh, by the Egyptians, let my people go. By the mm -hmm. Neo Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, it, it, it's 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 thousands of years old. And mm -hmm. I noted that in the start of the book, I quote Thomas Sowell, who's a really a, a, a brilliant um, African American scholar, and he points out. He says, what's so unique about America when it comes to slavery is not that we had slavery, because basically pretty much every country and culture empire did, but that we fought this vicious civil war to abolish slavery. And, and in fact, it was a civil war where upwards of 600,000, in fact, scholars today think it might even be 700,000 people died. And these were, these were largely white American boys killing white American boys over the issue of slavery. If it's, if it's 600,000 to 700,000, that's more than all the combined deaths in, in all the wars in the history of America. <laughs> if you take all the American dead in World War I, World War II, Korea, 50,000 dead, uh, Vietnam, 50,000 dead, add them all up, I mean, you, you have to do that to come close to the number of deaths in the Civil War. And also, 600,000, 700,000 dead in the American Civil War, that was out of a population at the time in America of only about 20 million people. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, what makes us unique is what we went through to end it. And backing up even further, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm talking to you from my home state of Pennsylvania. When, when Abraham Lincoln said in Gettysburg, right, that was 1863, he said four score and seven years ago, that's 87 years, it would take you back to July 4th, 1776. He said, our forefathers put forth the proposition that all men are created equal. So people who say, well, you know, the, the Declaration talked about all men being created equal. And, and yeah, the founders condemned slavery and they said it was wrong, even though a bunch of them had slaves. But what did they do to end it? Well, they couldn't end it on July 4th, 1776, because they would have lost half the colonies. They were in the process of, of you know, declaring separation in a revolutionary war from Great Britain. So it would, it would take Lincoln later to, to, to put, to take the principle, right, the proposition that all men are created equal and carry that forth to all Americans, including black Americans. Mm -hmm. But you know, these things in history, they take some time. Um, before our Civil War in the 1860s, the Brits under Wilberforce in the 1830s abolished slavery. And uh, 400 years before that, 1434, 1435, we have statements from popes like Eugene IV, um, you, uh, December 1434, January 1435, um, Sicut Dudum, 
condemning slavery way back then, 400 years before the Brits even abolished it. So it's, um, it's a much more complicated subject, I think, than, than, than people realize. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's not only 400 years before slavery was abolished in Britain or the uh, United States. It was something that was, uh, made, it was a papal bull that put automatic excommunication with no possibility of forgiveness until you did reparations to the person enslaved. It has set them free, returned them to their land, and restored their property before yeah, you could get absolved. Yeah. Uh, and this is 1435. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? Now, think yeah. about that. That is, that's 400 years before Wilberforce and the Brits abolished the slave trade. That is, if I'm doing my math right, 57 years before, before Columbus in 1492, okay? And so right there in 1435, Sicut Dudum is the, is the name of the papal bull. So imagine this. And by the way, the, the bull is called Against the Enslaving of, of, of Black Natives in the Canary Islands. Right. Okay? Against the Enslaving of Black Natives in the Canary Islands. So it's even, it's even noting the race of the people who are being enslaved. And the Pope there, as you said, he's calling for excommunication of anybody who engages in slavery, from common people to princes. And then in addition to that, and now people listen closely to this, all right? The, the church called for reparations, reparations to be made to the person who was enslaved. So this idea of reparations isn't something new in America in the 2020s in California. All right, the Catholic Church was 600 years out ahead on this. And, and for people who might find this hard to believe and they think about an America from a political perspective, look from a theological perspective. When, when you go to confession and you confess your sins, you know, the priest will ask you to make reparation for your sin. Now, given that the church de declared slavery a sin and evil, it was only natural, right, for the church in turn to say, uh, that you should make reparation for it. So uh, our church was calling for that in the 1400s. And there are people today, and you could Google and look it up, scholars today in journal articles, refereed academic journal articles, who claim that the Catholic Church didn't get around to condemning slavery till, oh, late 1800s, maybe under Leo the Thirteenth, right. maybe even Vatican too, right? Mm -hmm. They're off by about eh, 500 years. And, and it's really, not... it's kind of unconscionable that they're really that far off because the information is all out there. The other thing, too, is it's not just that uh, Pope Eugene was an outlier. He was part of an ongoing magisterium that usually, you know, as a matter of fact, for sure, every century after that, the popes condemned slavery. Uh, you include, for instance, uh, uh, one that I think is one of the best statements against slavery by Pope Paul III. Mm -hmm. It was just a, a hundred years after Eugene. And talk a little bit about that, because the context there was after the Americas had been discovered and after the Atlantic slave trade had begun 
and the enslavement of Native Americans had done. Talk a little yeah, bit that about was, that, that was, section. Yeah, that one's called Sublimus Deus, and mm -hmm. and it was and it was issued in 1537. So for people who um, start America, you know the 1619 project, uh, again Columbus 1492, the transatlantic slave trade started in 1444, and as I said, you know, 1434, 1435, we got two statements already from Eugene the Fourth there. But Pope Paul III, 1537. Yeah, that one, Father Mitch, that's one of my favorites. Yes. And he has an amazing line in there where, where, where he calls for, um, he speaks out against slavery and the enslavement of people for, for I'm quoting this off the top of my head, um, it's just isn't exactly verbatim, but it's close. For all people uh, yet or later to be discovered by Christians. Yes. Right. So, so you will hear people say, well, all right, maybe, yeah, maybe the church, maybe the church condemned slavery and maybe as early as Leo the 13th, right, 1890 or something like that. But, but it was only against, you know, if Christians were taken as slaves. Not true. Right. Absolutely and categorically false. You have a statement in 1537. This is like 500 years ago, right? Say all people yet to be discovered by Christians. I mean, that should cover, you know, pretty much just about everybody. Uh, and, and so our church was saying that way before any other institution. And here we're talking about papal statements, bulls, um, encyclicals. But in the book, I go back to the Council of Ogda in the year 506. I mean, there were church councils in the 500s, 600s, 700s. By the way, that's about the time that Muhammad is alive and the Quran is being printed. And, you know, the Quran, Surah 3350, says flat out, you know, God speaking, allegedly, um, he says to Muhammad, prophet, right? Says to him, prophet, um, you are allowed to take as booty um, any, 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 uh, you're, you're allowed to take as booty any slave girls that you capture. So that's what's being said in the rest of the world. And Great Wall of China being built. By yeah. 3350, you mean Surah 33. That's right. Uh, Surah 3350. Yeah. yeah. So Surah 33, so the chapter 33, mm -hmm. verse 50. Yes. Correct. And, you know, one of the, uh, in fact, the African slave trade had been going on for 200 years before the Portuguese got involved, but it was a slave trade of uh, Muslims capturing non-Muslims, usually animist and native religion people, and bringing them up to Istanbul, the, the, the capital of the Turkish Empire. That That's slave right. trade was through Timbuktu, had been going on for a couple hundred years. It was in the uh, 1400s, as you mentioned, the Portuguese get involved, and this is, uh, and then after that, the, everybody else uh, came to the Americas. So, well, from about from about the year 1500 to 1800, there were about one to 1.25 million uh, white Northern Europeans um, who who were slaves in Northern Africa in that period. Yes. So, so these right. these were white European slaves who right. who were owned. By black Africans in, in northern Northern Africa during that time, and of course they all—it wasn't just uh, slavery based on race. 
Af black Africans enslaved other black Africans. That's right. In even larger numbers because they were there. And that's you know, more recent. In fact, if, if you Google uh, U.S. State Department report on modern slavery in the Sudan, so mm -hmm. you will see in the 2000s, uh, you know, this, this still ongoing scourge of, in this case, uh, black African Muslims um, capturing, conquering, and, and enslaving uh, black African Christians in, mm -hmm. in, the, in the Sudan. That's and right. uh, in fact, you know, I hate doing all this race stuff, but let me give you some, some more numbers on this. The transatlantic slave trade, which begins about the year 1444, goes on for about 400 years. You're talking uh, at least 10 million black African slaves during that period, treated horribly, right, horribly. Yes. Less than 5% of them, less than 5% went to North America. Uh, the, the majority were uh, slaves to the Spanish Empire, Portugal, the Dutch, and guess which country had the most? Brazil. Brazil, yes. Brazil. And, and Brazil didn't get around to ending slavery until 1888. Now, I've never been to Brazil, but I've seen pictures. And from what I know, it's not made up of, of a bunch of, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed Northern Europeans. <laughs> All right. So, so the point here is that, again, this is a, uh, what really makes slavery so evil and so hideous is that it's actually involved all, all cultures and yes. all people through, uh, throughout history. And the American experience, too, let me add one more kind of fact that'll surprise people. The 1619 Project by the New York Times and Nicole Hannah-Jones, there's a book that came out in 2007, and I don't think the authors even had any, any idea how kind of important this date they identified was. The book is called White Cargo. It was published by New York University Press. Very good book, scholarly work. And they noted the year 1618. Now, at that point, no one's even thinking 1619. And they said 1618 is re really when slavery began in America. It was the start of 300,000, roughly, white indentured servants, white Brits, owned by other white Brits that were sent to America as indentured servants. Now, to be clear, they weren't treated as harshly, by and large, as uh, the black Africans that came over, but they were often treated quite cruelly. They, they, were, they were whipped, they were chained, they were auctioned, uh, but, but you know, those were the first slaves that came over in 1618. And then 1619 started uh, black Africans who, who came to America. But again, less than 5% of the, of the transatlantic slave trade came to North, came to North America. Um, the leading country was Brazil, of all places. And when we look that it, at it being just 5% of the African slave trade, we still can see how absolutely horrible this was. Yeah. And one of the, the, the considerations I've had is, you know, the Christians who lived here, this was uh, uh, settled, the colonies were settled by Christians. The vast majority were Protestant. And the, the different colonies were run by different religions. So uh, Georgia, the two Carolinas, and Virginia were uh, Anglican colonies. New England was Congregationalist or Puritan up in Massachusetts. Uh, Rhode Island was a Baptist colony. 
Uh, New, New Jersey was a uh, Presbyterian colony. These, these, and these were the folks that settled in the Americas. And I have a strong hunch, I think it'd be a good uh, area to research further, that these Christians who bought and sold slaves throughout the 13 colonies knew that it was contrary to their Christian morals. They knew it. And right. the only way they could justify doing something that they knew was wrong, I mean, the, the most important event of the Old Testament was the Israelites' freedom from slavery in Egypt. Yeah. So, knowing that, they had to come up with the idea that, well, African people are inherently inferior. And because they're inferior, they deserve to be enslaved. That was exactly the argument in the Dred Scott decision. Right. Back in where the Supreme Court made slavery the law of the land not unlike the way they had done with the abortion law. You know, yeah. that abortion became a decree by the Supreme Court, so also was slavery. And they, they had to put in there, African descent people can't be citizens because they're inherently inferior. And racial bigotry went with it as a way to assuage conscience that people knew this was wrong. Contrary to Christian teaching, it's a sin against the seventh commandment. That's Catholic teaching, that you steal somebody's freedom from them and their property. You're a thief to have, to have slaves. Yeah, the and, Dred Scott decision, right? I mean, comparable yep. to uh, Roe v. Wade in the sense of Absolutely. denying the humanity in, in, in Roe's case of, of the unborn child and a Dred Scott of, of a black person. Right, yep. de de exactly. de denying their very humanity. That's exactly right. This this is something that um, we we talk uh, in this area. The author of the Dred Scott decision was Roger Tawney. He was a Catholic mm. who rejected the papal teaching. Just a you know. I think it was, what, 1839, that Pope Gregory XVI repeated the condemnation of slavery and the automatic excommunication. That's another great statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, 18, it really the 1839 is. one. Yeah, yeah, it, it, really, it really is. And, and it's important to point out, too, that so these Christians and these Catholics who were doing this, uh, you know, they were, they were failing to follow the faith. Right. Yes. So you will hear people say, oh, well, you know, they they were Catholic. They were Christian. How could they, you know, how, almost as if um, the church or the faith is to blame. No, the church and the faith. Right. You know, they laid out clearly what you should and shouldn't do. Right. Right. Uh, you know, G Jesus laid out clearly what you should and shouldn't do. So these people are Christians or cat and Catholics who are failing to live up to the faith. Now, at the same time, um, in America, the abolitionist movement was was spearheaded by Christians. Mm -hmm. And and look at somebody yeah. like John Brown, who is uh, some people consider him the first terrorist, 
right, in America. He was a militant. And, you know, John Brown, Harper's Ferry against slavery. And he was, uh, you know, radicalized or energized, moralized by, by witnessing the death of, of his preacher, um, Elijah Lovejoy. And he stood there and gave this fiery speech, John Brown saying, you know, I swear I will vindicate, I will, by God, spend the rest of my life fighting slavery until my grave. And, and so he was a case who heroically, aggressive, militantly, um, people say, what, you know, went overboard. This wasn't Martin Luther King Jr., right, with peaceful no. c civil disobedience. No. But, but for every John Brown, there were 100 peaceful, um, you know, Protestant Christians who were leading the abolitionist movement. And backing it up to the founders, even folks like George Washington, who um, had over 300 slaves in his possession on Mount Vernon, um, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, they are on the record again and again saying that they knew that slavery was wrong. And they wrote letters, Washington to Lafayette, Robert Morris, you know, other people. They sponsored legislation trying to end slavery. And people forget this. By the year 1800, the Continental Congress had already banned the importation of slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, almost right. every state in the Union uh, had, had taken steps to abolish slavery by the early 1800s. I think South Carolina ended up flipping, flipping around 1804. But people act like there was nothing done between 1776 and the Emancipation Proclamation. That's not true. Right. Um, it wasn't easy to end it. Uh, but but America was one of the first countries that did, and ultimately through the Civil War. Yes. And this is a, a, a very important process. Uh, I brought up Roger Tawney partly to point out that as a Catholic who switched parties because he was a slave owner himself, he switched to the Democrat Party because they were the, the party of slavery. Yeah. He was absolutely in favor of that, and he cared more about preserving his wealth and political influence in favor of slavery than he did about the papal teaching. And it's ex that also is exactly parallel to those Catholics who support abortion as a right that just as Tawney had supported slavery contrary to the excommunication, contrary to church teaching, we see the same thing going on in the pro-life movement uh, uh, versus the pro-abortion movement. And Catholics who support it are no different in their ethics than Roger Tawney was. Well, I probably and, shouldn't make this this partisan comment, but also in the case of abortion, those Catholics have gone into the Democratic Party, um, like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, because that's the party that's the home to pro-choice Catholics. You, um, and 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 in, and in the during the Civil War, and uh, in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, so the Republican Party was was the the party of abolition. It was yes. founded as the anti-slavery party and. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is the founder of the party, and um, he, gave, he literally gave up his life for the cause of abolishing slavery. And the, the thing with that, I, I think that's important. The Democratic Party has completely changed on slavery. They no longer, uh, they're, they're against it. They're against bigotry. 
They, they stand firmly for racial justice. And that's a major conversion, in when, especially if read the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Douglas right. was the Democrat candidate, Lincoln the Republican. And you see how Douglas is arguing strongly for slavery because the Supreme Court declared them inferior. That has been rejected by that party. And it's very important to see that the kind of work of Christians like Martin Luther King Jr. and others uh, going all the way back worked hard to change hearts and minds on that moral issue. This is not only itself an issue, but it is a model for how hearts and minds can be changed and yeah. people can have conversion and groups and political platforms can also have conversion. They have in the past and they can again. This is important. Yeah, often often you have to change the hearts and the minds before you can even change legislation, right? Right. And the pro-life movement argued that for a long time. That, um, in fact, there were a lot of us in the pro-life movement that thought, ah, Roe v. Wade is never going to be overturned, right? Yeah. The best we could do is we could change hearts and minds. And we did get to a point, even with, um, with Roe not yet overturned, where I think we got under a million abortions per year. Mm -hmm. And at one point, it was, it was about two million a year. And, you know, under a million a year, while the population hit like 330 million people. So as a percentage of population, that was really, really, really good, right? That, that was great was progress. Def, By the way, I would add here something that would surprise people on the slavery issue around the time of the Confederacy. You know, we, we are now in the process in America of canceling Christopher Columbus, right? Mm -hmm. And Columbus Day is now... Uh, verboten in some circles. And we're now instead celebrating what we call Indigenous Peoples Day on Columbus Day. In fact, our President of the United States is doing that as well. Well, I got news for you, okay? Uh, th there were Native American tribes in America who owned black African slaves. And I talk about the five so-called civilized tribes, the Choctaw, the Creek, the Seminoles, the Cherokee. They all owned black African slaves in America. And some of them supported the Confederacy during the Civil War. And they were often brutal slave masters. I mean, they would, they would cut the foot off of, off of a slave if, the, if a slave escaped in order to serve as an example to others. They, they continued to have slaves even after the Civil War ended. And, and, and today, Father Mitch, there, there, are, there are black Americans who are descendants of those black slaves that were owned by Native American tribes who have lawsuits against those tribes to this day. And this is something that is not talked about during Indigenous Peoples Day. You know, they're running around canceling Columbus, throwing spray paint on Columbus, and also they're going up and down the West Coast, tearing down statues of Hinipero Serra, throwing red paint on Hinipero Serra, the founder mm. of the missions in California, who, by the way, Pope Francis canonized when he was in America se several years ago. But I, I got news for you, folks, all right? If, if, if you want to cancel those guys and instead put up on a pedestal the, the Native Americans, you better do a little research on the Native Americans, all right? Because uh, there ain't anybody who's squeaky clean in, in, this, <laughs> in this whole this business. This is the reality. It is a human problem, a sin problem. It's not the problem 
of one race alone. It is a human problem. The Lakota Sioux had enslaved some of the other uh, tribes of people who didn't have horses. And this is history. Um, we, and we need to recognize it's not about a particular group. It's about the truth that you don't steal and you don't steal people. You don't steal their freedom. You don't steal their property and you don't kill the, the innocent. These are principles and human beings are made better by these principles. That's what we are arguing for here. Following you, the principles you, that God gives us makes us better. Now, we have to take a break uh, right now. We're going to come back to you and also to our audience to see if they have any questions or comments. So please stay with us. studying a fine book called The Worst of Indignities, The Catholic Church on Slavery, written by our guest, Dr. Paul Kengor, PhD. And if you would like to get it, you can go to EWTNRC.com, EWTNRC.com, where it is item A312, A312. And you can get that there, and it's, it's really well done and great, great book. You ready for a question? Sure. Let's start off with David in Michigan. David, what can we do for you? Hi, Father Mitch. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my, question, my question is about there is a, a New York Times journalist who recently published a book. Her name is Rachel Swarns, and the title of the book is The 272 the families who were enslaved and sold to build the American Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. uh, I have not read the book, but from what I understand, she claims, and the reviews say it's a well-researched book, etc., mm -hmm. is that Georgetown University had slaves, yes. and uh, not only did they have slaves, but they, they sold slaves to fund the expansion of the university, and she claims, I guess, ultimately, the Catholic Church. So I would like to understand... What What is uh, the real story about this? And mm -hmm. you often can comment about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank yeah, you. So, that, that's a great question. It is, it is. So I'm not familiar with, with that book. I haven't read that book, or at least did, and didn't read it for this book, because I was working on this book about a year or so ago. Um, but, yeah, I'm familiar with the Georgetown case for sure. And Georgetown University um, officially apologized for that for um, the, the ownership of those slaves that, uh, that, the, that the Jesuit order had there at Georgetown. And uh, I, did, I didn't dig into it much. I just took it on its face and assumed that Georgetown apologizing for it, that, that, you know, that they were in the wrong for it. Um, but again, there the point would be that um, if they did do that, then they went against the church's official teaching. 
And also I point out in the book that there were entire orders that were found 600 years before that, uh, Peter Nolasco, um, St. John de Matha, the Ransomer. And, you know, these were orders that were actually found for the explicit purpose of liberating slaves. And that's around the year 1200. So, um, you know, I would, I would urge people who point out those wrongs against Georgetown, as they should, and, and I acknowledge them in the book as well, go back about 600 years and, and see what some entire other orders were doing that um, you're not going to see any New York Times talking about any of those folks. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to see them talking about Peter Claver. You're not going to see them talking about uh, Montesinos and Francisco de Vitoria and the Salamanca School and uh, what they were all doing with the discovery of international law and the slave trade in the 1400s and 1500s. Uh, so those things um, all way predate Georgetown. And to Georgetown's credit, they, they acknowledge that that was wrong and they've apologized for it. Not only has Georgetown and the, the Society of Jesus uh, apologized, they have contacted the descendants of those slaves. And they are in the process of doing reparations to the monetary, uh, you know, financial uh, uh, reparations. And they're doing that in uh, uh, connection with the descendants of those slaves. They're, it's an ongoing relationship. And, you know, uh, down the road, I'm hoping to do a program on that topic specifically. Um, because and it, uh, and it could be too, Father Mitch. Like I said, I didn't look into it because mm -hmm. I just went with what Georgetown said about it. But mm -hmm. oftentimes in these cases in, in states and in areas where slavery was legal, um, sometimes these different institutions were in possession of slaves or came in possession yeah. of slaves. They, they so did, I don't know. But they, but even in so doing. They were still contradicting what Pope Gregory XVI had just said, right, you know, right, right. around this time. Yeah, and exactly right. In fact, exactly that time. He called the president of Georgetown to come to Rome, and wow. you know, I, I think he uh, had a. Uh, coming to justice meeting with the Pope. That's great. That's uh, great. You know, the, uh, at the time. But by the way, uh, that's 50 he, years they, they, before Leo the Thirteenth, right? Yes. That's a that's 120, 130 years before Vatican II. Mm -hmm. So yeah, our our popes were way out front on this stuff. But it, it's it, it's showing exactly what you and I had been saying before, that um, this is. Uh, you know, Catholics who are contradicting the teaching of the church on slavery, not at all unlike the way some Catholics are contradicting the teaching on abortion, right. the teaching on communism, the teaching on same-sex unions. Folks want to go against the church's yeah. teaching on important moral issues, and they did it with slavery as well. Exactly right. They were wrong. The church's teaching was there. 
folks did not obey it, including the Jesuits at Georgetown. And, and the old. church has said, uh, in fact, Pope Paul III in 1537, Pope Pius X, who used the phrase, the worst of indignities, Pope John Paul II in 1992, speaking in Africa, at really the very source of the, of, of the slave trade, they all said, do you want to know who's really responsible for this, for slavery? Satan. Satan. Yep. This yep. is from the devil. That's who this comes from. It doesn't come from the American founding fathers, right? It doesn't come from this party or that party, right? I mean, we, you know, where, where this comes from is the evil one, the father of lies. Yeah, that he, it, It's key for Satan to want to take away the dignity of the human being, human person's in, inherent dignity. And because humans, no matter which continent they're from and what color their skin, all are made in the image and likeness of God. And Satan wants us to distort that inherent dignity placed inside us by God. And slavery is just one more of his evil tricks. You know, I, I have a chapter in the book where I talk about St. Josephine Bakita. Mm -hmm. And and that follows, uh, I talk about uh, Venerable Pierre Toussaint, uh, Augustus Tolton, who was probably the first black priest in America. Yes, in uh, Tolton had been a slave, uh, Toussaint had been a slave. And I, 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 and I focus on those three chapters on each and, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, it's, it's also inspiring to see how they came out of this. But when people read the chapter on Bikita, and I've had people tell me they've said, how did you even get through this material? I, I mean, they, they are taking this, this beautiful young African girl from Sudan, this you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, and this sadistic, diabolical slave master, slave woman, has this woman next to Bikita and another slave girl, and they are tattooing her. The tattoo that they're doing, they're carving them up. They're carving them. They're not tattooing them. They're carving them. And then, then they're rubbing salt in, into, the, into the wounds in order to create the, the, this, this kind of carving tattoo. The girls are screaming. They're being held down. They're writhing in pain. They pass out from the pain. And then they're put, there, they're put in a room for three or four weeks where they almost die. And you read this and you think, this is satanic. Yep. I, I, I mean, th th there, there's no rational explanation for this. Yeah. I, I mean, this goes beyond hate and cruelty. And it is, I, I think the last time I did your show, I talked about the devil and Karl Marx. And you look at some of the, the things that the communists did to religious believers in the Potesti prison in Romania, in the mm -hmm. Gulag archipelago. I mean, that, a lot of that's the same thing. You can't believe how cruel they are. And when you read what they did to, to Bikita, it's just, um, you really see, I mean, that's when, the, when you, you hit things theologically. That's when you see where Paul III and Pius X and John Paul II saying, no, I'll tell you where this, this comes from. This comes from Satan. That, that's when it hits you, yeah, that's where it's coming from. And it's we don't want to Satan. be a tool of the evil one. We have another caller online. Mike, you're calling from South Carolina. What can we do for you tonight? Good evening, Father Mitch. Uh, 
I would I would like for you, for you and your guests to to comment on the northern states and the black laws that they passed, and I'd like to know if any of of, of, of those ones that passed the laws were primarily Catholic states. Uh, you know, they they even prohibited black people from entering the states. Uh, I'd like for for you and your guests to comment on, on on those laws. So, which which states are you thinking of? Uh, there there were there were a number of states uh, that passed these laws. Yeah. Um, do you, are, are you thinking of the laws back in the um, uh, after Reconstruction, like from 1870s uh, uh, and 80, especially 1880s through uh, the 20th century? Are, are those the laws you're thinking of? Well, yes, the the, the ones that that, that just ha ha happened uh, after the uh, war between the states. Yes. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Mike, I, I, if I can address it real quickly and I'll turn it over to you. Uh, you know, Catholics started coming into the United States in large numbers, especially in the 1880s and into the, until 1922. And, you know, for the most part, the, there weren't any Catholic-dominated states. Right. until, you know, the 20th century. Um, so those laws mostly were passed in the Old South, um, you know, and these were uh, laws passed. Once the uh, Reconstruction was over, the Republicans became very cowardly when they saw that the uh, laws to protect black rights made them lose an election in the 1880s. They stopped caring about the issue. They cared more about elections. And so these laws got passed. Up in the north, um, uh, I'm not sure who was, how many uh, Jim Crow laws there were. There were less of them up north. Uh, they're primarily in the South, but the, certainly the Supreme Court approved of it in the Plessy versus Ferguson in 1895. Uh, Paul, do you have something on that? Well, I, I would add to this, but you, you prompted this thought. Uh, you said 1890s to you know, around 1920. Now, um, my family on my mother's side, now you wouldn't know it from my last name, which is actually Polish. That, that's my dad's, my dad's mm -hmm. side. But my mother's side, they're Italian. They came from uh, Calabria in southern Italy, uh, you know, the, the toe of the boot right across from Sicily, Reggio Calabria. And they came over in that first decade of the 1900s. Mm -hmm. Now, that whole area, that in itself is really telling about the whole slavery issue. That whole area was constantly under threat from, from Muslim pirates, the Barbary mm -hmm. Coast, right. the Mediterranean, from the 1500s through the 1800s. I mean, I look back, Father Mitch, and I think, oh, boy, I wish I could have, I could go back in time and live in Calabria in the 1700s with my ancestors. Well, if that would have been the case, <laughs> I mean, you were constantly under threat 
of the Ottoman Empire coming across and 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 you know conquering your city, um, taking your daughters as sex slaves, taking your sons as janissaries. They would take these boys ba back to the back to the Muslim lands, and they they would forcibly convert them to Islam, and they would then they would bring them back to southern Italy and these other places. And try to recapture, try to capture those areas. You could be a father from Calabria who, 25 years later, is being killed by your son, who's a janissary and doesn't even know who you are. Um, that whole area was protected by the Order of Malta, the Battle of Malta, the mm -hmm. Battle of Lepanto, right, mm -hmm. 1550s, 1560s, mm -hmm. and that whole era. And it had not been for those people, you could have had you know, all of Europe falling to Islam during that period. Sure. Now, on the other side, let me flip over here. My father's side, they're Polish, like you, right, Father, uh, mm -hmm. Father Mitch? Right. And you know, the, the, the term slaves comes from the Latin slavus, all right? So, so the, the Slavs were, were slaves for, for, for many centuries. In fact, back in the Roman Empire, you know, my Italian ancestors on my mother's side might well have enslaved the, the, the Slavs on, on my father's side at one point. And the only family connection that I have at all to slavery in the United States, this would be my dad's mother, the Flynn's, Irish. They were in West Virginia. They fought in the Civil War, and, and, and they fought to stop slavery at that point. Yeah. So it really shows, I think, um, my own history, probably like most people listening, you dig back into your own family's roots, and you'll probably find slavery back in your own family roots in some ways you didn't expect. Yeah. Uh, again, getting to the point of just uh, how complicated this history actually is. And I, I think one of the points that Mike is making I, I wouldn't suggest that the Catholic areas of the country wrote many Jim Crow laws. Right, that's but for sure. But there, there weren't be, enough of them. No, but there would be a lot of racial bigotry that they didn't have when they were in Europe because they didn't have contact with African Americans. But there were plenty of Catholics who learned racial bigotry here. That was also wrong. And in the 20th century, uh, Pope Pius XII ordered the American bishops address this and you know, work to make it go away. We now, have Father another Mitch, call. Well, I just want yeah. to get to another call before sure. our last couple of minutes. Steve, you're calling from Oregon? Yes, uh, I have a question. Uh, How does a Catholic church view sex slave children's trafficking, which is happening today? Ah. Yeah, Pope Francis has Pope Francis has been all over this. So I mean, he's probably spoken out more against slavery than uh, boy any pope in modern times because of uh, sex trafficking in particular. Mm -hmm. And um, and, I, and I was going to say right before that call, Father Mitch, Augustus Tolton, who was an American slave and uh, the first black priest, some think the first black American priest, um, you know, the kindly nuns and priests at his hometown parish. Uh, they couldn't find a seminary in the United States that would take him. So what did they do? They sent him to Rome. Mm -hmm. And Rome opened him with open arms mm -hmm. because our church, being Catholic, capital C and small c, universal, um, we've had black people in our church for millennia. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, our, our church has um, 
never been a bigoted church because it's always been a universal church. It's yeah. never been just um, you know a European church or like an American church. It's truly a universal church. Yeah. But I think uh, Steve, Steve's question, um, in, in fact, I, is extremely important because, yeah. in fact, there are far more slaves today, numerically, yeah. than there were in the whole history of the United States. Uh, in the whole history of the slave trade, 10 to 12 million Africans were brought to the Americas, both. Over North 400 South, years. And that was 12 million. Today, in the world, there are 45 million slaves. This that's the is, estimate. Yeah. That's the estimate. And this is a grave evil that we, uh, that's one of the, re the relevance of your book for today is not only to understand the past, but stealing somebody's freedom is as evil today. That principle holds the catechism teaches that, and stealing their sexual innocence is a grave evil, and it's one of the sins that cries out to heaven for revenge, and this is something that all of us have to be very clear in opposing. Paul, we only have a, a short time left. Uh, it's gone by much too quickly. I just want to make sure, sure that we let people know again, this discussion is very important and for lots of reasons. And I want people to be aware of this material. It's called The Worst of Indignities, The Catholic Church on Slavery, written by our guest, uh, Paul Kengor, PhD. You can it, get it at EWTNRC.com, where it is item number A312, A312. Um, I urge you to, to get that and be able to engage people in serious discussions about America's past, the church's past, and how we as Christians today are going to address the present problem of human sex uh, slavery that's going on worldwide. Paul, so sorry that we're running out of time. It was a, a lot of fun conversation. Thank you. We'll have you back for more. Keep writing. And for Thank all you, of you, Father may Mitch. the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by his peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We Thank can you. bring you Paul Kengor and all our other guests and shows because the network is brought to you by you. Keep us in between your gas bill, electric bill, and cable bill, and we'll pay our bills. Thank you.